I actually believe that you shouldn't necessarily start with the productized service. Just instead start with who your target customer is that you want to serve and what's like the top priority problem that they have that you are also qualified to build a solution for and then get into, okay, well, what's that solution going to be? Welcome to the third part of our mini TMBA series, Productized. For those of you who didn't hear or for some reason can't remember the two earlier parts, here's a quick recap. We put out a call for someone who would be up for starting a productized services business on the show. Now, again, productized services are businesses that you can essentially start immediately. So there's very little barrier to entry, and it's a great way to test your entrepreneurial mettle in a risk-free way. Jeff Picaro answered, and so far we've been following the story of his journey starting a productized service. Now, instead of hearing Jeff's story, today we've invited Brian Castle onto the show. Now, Brian is an expert in productized services, and he's not only done it himself multiple times, but he's also helped many others build their own productized service business. And I thought it would be great if Jeff would come onto the show with me and be my co-host. So I gave Jeff a call. So Jeff, we're not going to talk about your company and how it's going today. We're going to save that for later. So pressure's off. In this Tropical MBA episode, we're going to be doing something else. I thought it would be fun to invite you to co-anchor the show. So any nerves about coming in replacing Boss Man? No, but they are big shoes to fill. I'm not sure I've got quite the evil genius creds yet. So I'd like to get your responses to an interview I did with Brian Castle. And I know you know him because you referenced him in an earlier episode of Productized. Yeah, his blog post, Productized by Not Selling Talent, was one of the few blog posts I can point to as dramatically changing the way I thought about the work I was doing. Yeah, and Brian, you know, part of what he does with his time is helps people grow productized services business. He runs a productized service called Audience Ops and also co-hosts a great podcast called Bootstrap Web. So I'd like to point that out. He's been running productized services for many years, and I'm interested in how much the experience he's having mirrors or is different from yours. You ready for that? That sounds fascinating. So productize services in short are instead of providing services by the hour, by the day, or even by the week, you choose one thing that you can do over and over for a broad range of clients and charge a flat fee for it. Well, now we're talking about productized services in the first place because they're one of the quickest ways that you can get started selling products instead of selling your time or having a J-O-B. So I started this interview by asking Brian Castle about the types of founders or would-be entrepreneurs that these sorts of businesses are the best fit for. Yeah, that's a good question. I think they apply to a number of, of different people and situations, but the folks that I tend to connect with are people who come from a similar background to me. You know, freelancers, like a solo consultant who's doing some sort of like freelance service and then looking to level up from there, shifting from building by the hour into building an actual business you know, that's not just selling your time or your expertise. Those are the people who I found resonate the most with the idea of launching a productized service. And, and for me, it, that's exactly what allowed me to fully transition out of that model of selling my time. I mean, I used to be a freelance web designer for several years, kind of you know, living project to project. Tell me about how a typical project might go for a freelance web designer. I would typically get a referral from someone and they would reach out to me, say, hey, I have this business and I need a new website. It, typically, it's a redesign. Then we have a call or a meeting and we talk about, okay, well, what do you need? What are you looking to do? What are your goals? What are these requirements? I would then go back and write 
you know, a long proposal and, and, you know, figure out, okay, it's going to take X number of hours and I'm going to price it this way. And, and here's the quote and here's what's going to be included. I would send that to them and then either they sign on or, or they don't. But the challenge was that every single person that came to me had different requirements. You know, I was doing different things. You know, one person might need an e-commerce website. One person might need a WordPress blog, basically solving different problems for different people. So there's no way to kind of scale that up. I mean, I did bring on other contractors and grow my team a little bit, but still it was very much project to project. And it wasn't until I figured out that if I can get focused on solving one problem for one type of customer and just do that repeatedly and build that into a system, you know, that's actually like a product that I can go out and actively sell and not have to rely on referrals and not do, you know, the feast and famine kind of thing. And Could you contrast that life of a freelancer? Like, so let me know how one might productize that and how that experience would be different. A lot of it is mindset and also what you actually spend your working hours on. You know, it comes back to this idea of working on your business, not in your business, which, you know, you and many of the listeners here are familiar with that concept, I think. But the difference is I used to be the one designing and coding websites and now I'm working on the business. So I'm building a team, I'm building a solution figuring out what is the best way to create this solution for a very specific problem and who experiences that problem the most, who is our target customer. And so it's like more about being proactive and being strategic about, okay, I'm putting this thing out in the world and I I need to go get the people who have this problem. Whereas as a freelancer, it was more like, I have this skill. Anybody need something that requires this skill? Come to me and you know we'll kind of take it from there. But you don't necessarily have a product that you can sell other than your time. One of the tricky challenges is, okay, so a freelance web developer has like a lot of skills, like these little micro skills. So how do you find a portion of them that could exist as a product? Yeah, you know, that is a tough thing because especially for web developers, like you said, you can do so many different things and you do so many different things. It can seem very limiting to stop doing 80% of what you do and only focus on like 20% of what you do. But that's what enables you to have something to sell. So, I mean, what I did in my first business which was called Restaurant Engine. Again, I I was a freelance web designer. So then in order to standardize that and and make it more focused, I decided to only focus on selling to restaurants and build websites that only had X, Y, and Z features, which I knew would be common requirements for a restaurant website. And, And so that business was called Restaurant Engine. I worked on that for about four years before I sold it in 2015. But over that time, you know, learning how to stay focused on serving one customer and, you know, building websites and building templates and a whole platform for building these restaurant websites in a very repeatable, standardized way. That's what enabled me to kind of remove myself from the process, build a team around it, build systems and ultimately get it to a point where I was literally spending like three hours a month managing that business at the time that I exited and transferred it over to the new owner. Let's jump in here. You know, we're the hosts. We have that right. We can do that. So does your experience mirror this? Because I think this is one of, it's a technical thing that you have to do, but I think a lot of it just comes down to your mindset because you're, as a freelancer, you're so used to serving your customers. So they say something, you do it. But as a productized service entrepreneur, that's not really the mindset anymore. No. And that's one of the biggest things that I think freelancers lose is that that ability to jump on to shiny new things and find projects out of them is 
the good part about being a freelancer. We discussed all the prices that you pay for that in the first episode. But what Brian says about focus is really the key as far as I found. And you talked on, a, on an episode years ago about like niching until it hurts. I think that focusing until it hurts is probably the linchpin in whether these businesses work or not in terms of finding a very specific market, a very specific problem to fix, and a very specific process to fix it. It's always funny coming back after like six weeks of work and realizing that someone a couple years ahead of you knew exactly what you were figuring out. There's also this mindset as a freelancer, as a employee, that you say yes to income and money. Yep. As a productized service entrepreneur, I think that you say no to most money. Like that's kind of the point, right? Like eventually you might have hundreds of people that know about your service and maybe even inquire with you about it, but you're only going to deliver it to a small fraction of them. From what I know about Restaurant Engine, Brian could have sold a similar service to many other kinds of businesses, but developing the niche expertise and developing the reputation, building websites for restaurants was what let that business take flight. And he wouldn't have had that if he was making websites for a hundred different kinds of local businesses or even selling templates. Jeff, just a little bit more backstory on Brian. You know, he sold Restaurant Engine last year and not only that, but all of his WordPress sites too, so that he could focus just on audience ops. And I got to mention this because it's going to get cut out of this episode and put into another one. Brian sold Restaurant Engine for a great multiple. So that is one of the major criticisms that productized services can get is that, well, can you really sell these businesses? Well, yes, resoundingly, you can sell these businesses. That was one of the major criticisms of SaaS apps, software as a service apps as well. And I think between the two of us, we probably know half a dozen people who've sold their software businesses for great multiples just this year. So that may be changing as well. So Jeff, I talked to him about those sales. He not only sold the restaurant engine site, but all of his WordPress plugins and all the other stuff so that he could just focus on audience ops. Mm -hmm. So I was curious, as you alluded to, Jeff, how does he feel that those previous business experiences, owning restaurant engine and so forth, contributed to the success of his current business? I think that audience ops would not exist had I not gone through the process of building Restaurant Engine. And it also would not have had the success and the fast success that it's had either. I mean, number one, what we do at Audience Ops is, is content marketing as a service. You know, we work with B2B software companies and they outsource the writing of their blog posts and their email newsletter to us. That's something that I had built into Restaurant Engine. And that's how I grew the Restaurant Engine brand. And that was all of our marketing was, was content marketing. And I built a team and, and systems and processes to remove myself as the founder from that process. So when I was starting Audience Ops, it was like, that's clearly a pain point that I've talked about. That's something that it was really painful for me to build up in my last business. Let's offer this to other founders. It's an area that I know really well. So, so that made sense. This is my second time around building a productized service business, which means I can move, I feel like, 10, 20 times faster than I did with Restaurant Engine. Restaurant Engine was four years of me figuring things out making a ton of mistakes and going really, really slow through, you know, building up the systems. Whereas like audience ops, I'm just going right back to my playbook, you know, building a lot of the same processes. It's a different business. We do different things, but just figuring out and knowing how to prioritize and knowing which things I need to build and who I need to bring on. Like I can just go through that process much faster. Are there like mirage sand pits? Like I notice sometimes people that are starting new businesses, they get stuck in places that aren't even important. Are there things that you can remember that you just you're blowing through now like or you don't even care about them whereas like you spent weeks or months before working on certain things that just didn't have any meaning to your business? 
Definitely. You can get hung up on building the product and that product, it could be software or it could even be a productized service where you're so focused on what's the exact solution and the system and the process for how we're going to deliver this. You can spend too much time on that before you actually get it in front of customers. The nice thing about launching a productized service is that you can start with a general idea of what you're going to be doing and how you're going to deliver it. But you're much better off if you get it into the hands of paying customers and go through the process of delivering the service you know, a couple of times. And as you go, refine the process and the procedures and the documentation. Because you know, version one of your SOPs are going to be much different. Even like six months into it, you're going to figure out, okay, this step is not needed. Or you know, what customers really care about is this and not that. You've got to learn all that stuff with paying customers and avoid going through all that you know, in theory before you actually try to sell it. And that's another huge benefit. You can launch really quickly. You can generate revenue really quickly and you can actually start delivering the solution much quicker. Whereas you look at something like software, it's like, you know, building an MVP takes months, some kind of prototype. And sure, you, you might do some kind of like pre-sales, but that's still like on a promise like, OK, someday in the future we'll give you your solution, but it's not ready yet. At least with a productized service, you know, here's the offer within a week or within a month, we can be delivering your results. So if we were to have a business model Olympics where we invite all the business models and we have them perform in all the events, where would productized services get on the podium? You just mentioned a few that you can launch quick. What are some other things that you see is like this is the best business model for X? Yeah. And and I mean, obviously, it's not for everyone, but I've found it's the best path for making that transition from Building by the hour to actually building a real business. It's a way to establish an actual business and all that, that goes into that. So like I said, yes, you can grow revenue and, and be profitable very quickly. And that's really important, especially when you're trying to replace your income from freelancing or replace your income from a job with your new business. The faster you can do that, the better. But I think more importantly, launching a productized service also launches your brand and your audience and establishes the market that you're serving. If you plan to build some sort of software, you'll have a much easier time if you have an existing audience and you've established yourself with that market and you've learned a ton about that market before you invest the time and the money and resources into building a a big software product. Does it reassure you at all to hear Brian talk about how much his subsequent businesses have benefited from just getting started, essentially? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the exciting things about choosing entrepreneurship as a career is the sense that you're building a skill set that transfers. Instead of you know getting really good at accounting and ending up needing to be a lawyer, I think you have the chance to develop skill sets like sales and like systems that you can jump with to a new business. So it's really exciting to hear the second business was easier than the first. One of the notes I have here is, is starting to productize services almost sort of like going to university or getting your MBA? You could think of it that way because it helps with that transition. I liked how you talked about entrepreneurship as a career. It's a long-term choice just because a few businesses are going to fail here and there. Like That's just par for the course. Yeah. And I really liked what Brian said about the flexibility of a service business because you know, he makes a great point that throwing away software is a lot more painful than throwing away SOPs. Yeah. And throwing away inventory is downright criminal. <laughs> <laughs> to make that clear, like you could easily spend tens of thousands of dollars on software or on inventory and have it just be completely wasted. Whereas even a failed service conception or a failed contract with a client 
could lead you to the business that you're eventually going to have. Right. And for the most part, that's a matter of learning something new and firing up a new Google Doc. Now, Jeff, one of the reasons I like Brian's advice is it flies in the face of some other stuff that you're going to see online. In particular, websites that suggest that new entrepreneurs, people fresh to the online scene, should consider building a software business. It's a much more complicated model than a productized service. And look, look like in some ways, I hate to be the guy who says, like, don't be ambitious. You know what I mean? And like, and I hope people burn me on that one. You know, go be ambitious, go take over the world, start a unicorn, all that stuff. But I had to ask Brian about it. And a lot of what he's saying echoes Rob Walling's stair-step approach, which is essentially, look, treat this as a long-term decision. Like you don't have to step up to the plate in the majors and hit a grand slam at the right moment. It really is a game that rewards people with know-how and experience. And you might as well build that in a low risk cash flow positive setting. You know, why risk your life savings and then have to go back to a job? And I think that's a lot of what we talked about since the beginning here. You know, why don't you reduce your expenses so that you don't have to have a job? Why don't you move to Asia so you don't have to have a big apartment? (laughs) (laughs) Or a big utility bill. Or anything that's going to allow you to focus your time. I mean, we're really talking about making a time investment here and not a cash one. And that's why I think, look, there's nothing wrong with freelancing. That's even the first step, right? It's engaging your time in a cash flow positive way that's building the skills that are going to lead to a productized service business, which could lead to having an audience, which could lead to someday building a software product for that audience. So I asked Brian about his thoughts on, on all this stuff. I think Rob Walling is right on with the stair-step approach. Honestly, I don't know too many people who have success right out of the gate with a SaaS as their very first product. And I think all the successful SaaS product owners that you know out there, you know, you're only seeing the highlight reel. You're not seeing the years of failed products that they've worked on before. And so I do think that it's important to get your feet wet with not just the process of building a product, but really more the process of figuring out who your market is and selling a product rather than just selling your time. That's a very different thing to do. And to go along with that stair-step approach, I think to add to that, and this is a lesson that I've learned kind of the hard way over the years, is start with something small or relatively easy to launch, like a productized service or even like a simple plugin or, or an ebook or something and then graduate to a SaaS. But if you can keep them connected to the same market, if you can expand your your product line, like that's kind of what we're doing with Audience House right now. Like we've established our done for you service, but we're expanding into plugins and educational products all for the same audience, all about content marketing for your business. Like we've established ourselves as a content marketing company. First we're doing it with a done for you service, launched that really quickly, profitable very quickly, and now you know, leveraging the cash flow, but also the audience and our expertise and knowledge to build other products for that same audience. Back at the Business Model Olympics, where does productized services struggle? It's probably harder to scale. Most people look at that as the number one obstacle to growing a productized service because it does, you are doing something manually and that requires manual processes. That requires growing a team, which has costs. It it also takes time to get the right people and, and train them. But that being said, I think if you have the right mindset going into it, really staying focused on solving one problem and doing one solution in one particular way, if you take on that mindset, it makes delegating the work much easier. It makes scaling up the process and the team much easier. So You've seen so many entrepreneurs build productized services. What's something that you know about them that someone that is just considering it might not know? 
I'm actually always surprised at how fast they can get going and start to see results. And, and I think those results come in many different ways, whether it's, you know, one guy I know 10x his revenue in, in six months of just switching to a productized model, working with a lot of the same clients and attracting new ones. It's also, you know, the, the change in mindset from getting their time back and not being so tied to, okay, I'm only earning income when I'm at my computer working. I think there's like such a low barrier to entry to starting a productized service that I've seen so many people fail at it and kind of fall back to their clients and their freelancing. So why does that happen? I think two things. One is they're not focused on solving a really painful problem. They're more focused on the idea of just doing one thing repeatedly. Because there are a ton of things that you can put into a system and a process, but very few of them are actually painful problems that businesses are willing to pay money for to have solved. That's really important. I actually believe that you shouldn't necessarily start with the productized service. Instead, start with who your target customer is that you want to serve and what's like the top priority problem that they have that you are also qualified to build a solution for and then get into, okay, well, what's that solution going to be? The other pitfall that I see sometimes is not getting focused enough. Even once you've productized an offer, you know, you're still going to receive these other requests. Well, we want this, like something else done custom, or we had this request here, and we've got another client who's not really like our target audience. And I think during the transition phase, while you're scaling up, it's fine to, to take on whoever you need to take on to keep cash flow running. But the people who I see have a hard time scaling it up and building the systems and delegating, usually the reason for that is that it's not a standard enough system. Like things are too varied. You're getting these different projects that require different processes and different tools and different methods. The more that you can reduce that variation in how you deliver what you do, the easier it'll be to, to build that into a model that can actually scale. Brian's been watching me. What do you think after hearing this, Jeff? I'm having this recurring experience of, of meeting people who've been watching me from outside the walls or who've lived my life before I got to it. Brian hits the nail on the head. I mean, there are constant offers. There are constant distractions. And, you know, they always come at exactly that moment where your confidence is shaken in the core idea. And you have to hold these two ideas and say, is this a distraction because I don't want to deal with the painful problems in my business right now? Or is this a new way forward? Is this the gold idea that I've been waiting for a client to give me? But man, his point about painful problems is a great litmus test. So what's the difference between starting with a painful problem and starting with the productized service, I guess? How do we think about that? Well, you should do a whole separate episode with John Logar <laughs> at some point. Yeah. Because John Logar blew my lid back. He called me a couple of weeks after our second episode with Dan Norris and was like, hey, Jeff, sorry to burst your bubble, but no one cares about drip or even about email marketing. They care about their business and they care about their problems and they care about money. And why aren't you talking about those things? I don't know, John. <laughs> Sounds like a really great idea, John. <laughs> it's really easy for entrepreneurs to get lost in the weeds and to focus on your problems and what you want the business to look like and the process. And at the end of the day, some people are going to care, but not the bigger part of the market that you want to sell to. Right. And I think we want to talk about things, too, that are difficult to talk about. So let me try. For example, let's plug your business really quick. What's the current URL? Still LTV machine. It needs some love. But the conception was brought up by a pain point that I think I mentioned Mm -hmm. on Twitter in a way that was compelling and interesting to me and, and something that I would have paid for, for sure. However, like there's this concept of resonance that's really hard to talk about or to find, frankly, right? Like an idea that sticks, 
that is understandable and compelling to a broad range of people rather than one person who said it one way sometime. And that's by definition what's happening when you're writing a sales offer. It's your way of presenting it. So it's hard to know where the problem exists. Well, and even if you have the first problem, which in your case was help me set up my drip email marketing, that resonates with a certain subset of people. There's a bigger subset that wants help with email marketing. But then there's a whole universe out there of businesses with specific problems that email marketing could solve. And that's also where you start really getting into how to make people more money, how to save people more time, and creating a compelling offer. So speaking of compelling offers... And just for fun, I asked Brian one of our recurring questions on the show. We played a little game called Donate a Business Idea to the Tropical MBA listeners. Everybody loves this one. I'm actually going to play some theme music for this. So, Jeff, if you're prepared, we played a little game with Brian called, and maybe I can improve on this in the future, the Business Ideas Donation Game. And here it goes. I do have a couple here. That I, so this is one that I, I was actually thinking about launching myself. You know, Just before Audience Ops, I was kicking around a few different ideas. This was one of them. Webinar production as a service. If you've ever done a webinar, like a marketing webinar, then you know there is so much work that goes into it. I mean, creating the slides and creating the presentation, that's, that's one thing. But then putting all the little pieces in place, like the email sequence to lead up to the webinar and the reminder emails and then the follow-up sequence after the webinar, like here's the replay and here's the special promotion that we're doing, you know, the landing page for it, all that stuff is a total pain in the ass. So if a service just handled all of that so that the business owner, all they need to do is show up and give their presentation, that would be brilliant. Now I have to ask a follow-up. Can you walk me through how you might turn it into an offer that you could sell to somebody? I think webinars are, I guess by their nature, they're kind of a one-time event. So, I mean, there's that kind of drawback. You could yeah, say, I'm like, only going to do it if you're willing to commit to a quarterly. Yeah, I, I would try to target businesses who are doing regular like monthly webinars and turn it into like a monthly or quarterly service. So yeah, like X dollars how per quarter. How many dollars could you charge for that? You could charge a lot, I think. I think that's a great idea. You know, I can't think of an audience-based business with a mailing list that's over 1,000 people or over, even over 500 people that would not make their ROI on investing thousands of dollars in a webinar productized service that just got it done for you. Absolutely. A thousand or more, you can definitely get a good crowd in a live webinar or enough people to see the recorded one to generate some sales of, of whatever product or service you're, you're selling. All right. Idea number two. The other one that I'm thinking about is podcast pre-interviews as a service. I also co-host a podcast called Bootstrapped Web with my friend Jordan Gal. We've done interviews from time to time, but we've mostly backed off from doing interviews. And the reason for that is it takes so much work to do a good interview. It's easy to kind of just invite anyone on and just get a list of names. And that, like I've been a guest on other interviews where they like, don't even know anything about me and they're just kind of asking me canned questions right. that they ask all their guests. How did you and, get started? And you just kind of. Yeah. Get... And then that just makes for, you know, not a very interesting interview. You know, it's not going to do your podcast any good. But you look at someone like Andrew Warner, who's brilliant with doing interviews, but his team does these pre interviews where they really dig into everything about your story and then relay all that stuff to Andrew and make it easier for Andrew to kind of just show up and do the interview every day. So I think if someone can do that as a service, that would help a lot of podcasters you know, get into a regular routine of interviewing. Jeff, be honest. Are you thinking about doing Brian's business idea? I'd be lying if I said the wheels weren't turning. 
<laughs> He's a smart guy. He's a very smart guy. Hey, what stuck home with you about this one? As you take a listen to what Brian said, what's going to stick with you? Brian's idea about focus has been ringing in my head this whole episode, and I have a feeling it's going to keep tumbling around for a few weeks more. But that seems to be a lesson that I watch people learn over and over again, and that I have to remind myself about over and over again. And I think the way that Brian explained it is confirmation from someone who's been there, built this kind of business twice now, and, you know, frankly managed to sell one. I think it lends a degree of credibility to it, and I think he's got a clarity about it that's really something that I'm hoping to keep in mind. Yeah, and one thing, you know, that really jumped out at me, Jeff, is he's saying on some issues with his second productized service that he's moving 10 to 20 times faster. You've seen that, and I believe it. I so believe it that there is this slogging stuff that sometimes you just have to endure, for lack of a better term. Sometimes you are solving the wrong problems, and you're not going to know that until you try to solve them. You You can listen to all the advice from everybody all day long, but there's a difference between knowing that, which is someone giving you advice or reading a book about something, and know-how, which is entrepreneurship is not knowing the right things. It's knowing how to do the right things. And so you can read a book or listen to advice like this all day long, but if you don't go out there and actually feel it and do it on a day-to-day basis, then you're not going to develop the experience we're talking about. Well, that's the meat of it. I think when you hear gurus talk about like falling in love with the process, they're really talking about falling in love with all the bad shit because the good shit's easy to love. (laughs) (laughs) Having that faith to remind yourself that like the bad shit's what you learn from, that the struggles are are where you're picking up, where you're earning your stripes, I think is key to sticking at this a while. And maybe it's like not even struggles, it's just life. You know, like we used to joke that the best day in your business was like just another Wednesday. Because on Thursday, you come in and like your customers still want to be served. They're not super pumped that you had a great day yesterday. They're your clients. They're your customers. And they want to make sure the products are delivered on time. Ergo, it's just Thursday. Go back to work. <laughs> and hopefully, yep. you could enjoy it. If you're interested in learning more about productized services, we got this whole series going on here at the podcast. And also, Brian offers a free video crash course, which you can download at his excellent blog that has been referenced on this series. That's at castjam.com. C A S J A M. We got a bunch of information. They'll be in the show notes this week. You can find them all at our website, tropicalmba.com. Jeff, thank you so much for being my co-host this week, and we'll have you back shortly to share your story. Thanks for stopping by and giving the boss man a day off. Sounds good, Dan. Remind him to keep up the rap and reviews. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.